So, uh, I'm in this play, and some of you have, some, <laughs> well, I figured after all of that foolishness and the cowboy get up, I better do something to kind of raise the bar. So I w- went ahead and wore this this morning. Uh, um, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you all for a number of you been. And I think there's some spots this afternoon still. If you want to walk up, they, they can probably get you in. But um, anyway, it's been a lot of fun. And, and you know, uh, a really um, has a, the story has a really neat gospel center to it. And um, it's kind of unexpected when you're at when you come and you hear the play. It's because it's humorous and there's some old songs and there's some legalism going on. Uh, but right in the middle of the whole deal um, is a beautiful a cappella piece by uh, Johnny and um, and a real gospel testimony. And it's just a beautiful picture in the midst of a lot of laughter and a lot of fun. The, the gospel is good. So this morning we are uh, we're looking at the seven trumpets in the book of Revelation. We uh, we covered uh, the seven seals and. Um, and so I want to just remind you again, uh, I really feel like this is important, that, um, I, you know, first, it's not normally my style anyways to do a, a ton of really detailed heavy lifting in the sermon. What I typically am trying to do is give that big picture and hopefully each and every week to direct your attention to Christ, okay? Because all of Scripture is directing us to God's plan, and that is the, the gospel. And so I, um, even here in the book of Revelation, and one of the things we talked about at the beginning, one of the things that Dr. Johnson really highlighted when he came was you know, the, the book of Revelation, far from, from intending to be a, a big, scary puzzle, is intended to reveal for us the triumph of the Lamb. Um, it is a story that has at its center that uh, the Lamb has triumphed. And uh, in the final analysis, um, God's sovereign plan will rule. And, um, and so even in the everything that we're going to see this morning, you are going to, I think, you'll see that gospel center that's there, and you'll see God's grace. Um, so as we think about the passage, the center of it is the trumpet. Now, a couple, there are a couple trumpet players here, right? Don't we have a couple trumpet players? Yeah? One or two, maybe? So when I think of a trumpet, okay, a trumpet to me is not a piece, it's not an instrument that's used, correct me if I'm wrong, but for me, my impression, when I think trumpet, I think loud, uh, it doesn't give me, it's not something that causes me to be, uh, you know, real, uh, I, I don't contemplate a lot of deep things when I'm hearing trumpet blast, okay? When I hear a trumpet, and it usually is a, it's a, it's a loud piece, it's a forceful piece, it's kind of a coming at you piece. And, um, and so that's typically what I think of when I think trumpet. However, there's a, there's a piece out there that does everything completely the opposite of a normal trumpet piece, and that is taps. So if you've ever heard taps played at a military funeral, these days, 
unless you go to a, unless you're at Arlington or you're at a, you know, you've got somebody, they've got somebody special. They don't even play it anymore. They have a bugler and he holds it up and his bugle has stuck in the end of it uh, a little music piece that plays taps. I don't know what you call it, right? But that's what's going on there. And, uh, and, but anyways, that trumpet, that, that bugle, which is kind of, you know, those two pieces are somewhat similar anyways, um, is the piece that's played. Now, that is very contemplative, right? It really, I mean, if you've heard taps, it'll move your soul. It'll really cause you to start reflecting on some things. Let me ask you, how many of y'all know the words? Any of you know the words to that, to taps? I didn't know him. So here it is. Very simple, written by a, a guy named Horace Lorenzo Trim. It's it, um, written in mid-1800s is when taps started being generally played for military funerals. And here are, here are the, the, the words. Day is done, gone the sun, from the lake, from the hills, from the sky, all is well, safely rest. God is nigh. Next line. Fading fast dims the sight, and a star gems the sky, gleaming bright. From afar, drawing nigh, falls the night. Third line. Thanks and praise for our days, neath the sun, neath the stars, neath the sky. As we go, this we know. God is nigh. Sun has set, shadows come, time has fled, scouts must go to their beds, always true to the promise that they made. And in the final line, when the light fades from sight and the stars' gleaming race softly send, to thy hands we our souls, Lord, commend. Now, I don't know, I didn't, I, I, I try, I tried to find out something about Mr. Trim, and, and I couldn't find anything on him. But, when you listen to the piece, and you listen to the original lyrics intended to go with it, here's what I know. He knew his Bible. Because, in the Bible, that trumpet sound, okay, is almost always associated with the coming of the Lord. If you go all the way back um, and, and you take your Old Testament and you begin to think about it, right? There are a number of passages. It's all over the place. But there are a couple of really big passages in which that trumpet makes an appearing. And when that trumpet makes an appearing, guess who who, who is coming right behind it? The Lord. So let's just take one. Exodus chapter 19. This is at Mount Sinai. On the morning of the third day, beginning in verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. And everyone in the camp trembled. They didn't tremble because of those things. They trembled because they knew that that trumpet meant the Lord was coming. Was it fearful? Yes, it was a... It was such an event that when the writer of Hebrews writes about it in, in um, Hebrews chapter 12, he talks about that event and he says, listen to this, 
Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. And I don't have my glasses, so I'm doing the best I can. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and to storm. Verse 19, to a trumpet blast or such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further words be spoken to them. Okay, This is the writer of Hebrews. So he's saying, so that trumpet blast in Exodus 19, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you haven't come to that. Okay, that was It was terrifying. It was terrifying to them because when that trumpet blew, they knew the Lord was imminent. He was coming, and he descended on the mountain in a, in a pillar of cloud, and there were peals of thunder, and there was lightning. You're going to see this again here in just a couple minutes in Revelation. right? So all of these things were happening, and they knew the Lord was with them, and they were terrified. Well, the writer of Hebrews says, you haven't come to that kind of a mountain. You haven't come to that uh, kind of a situation. Instead, he says in verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn. Right? The writer of Hebrews saying, you, didn't come, you haven't come to that mountain. You've come to a much bigger mountain. We get a picture of that at the very end of the book of Revelation. But... It's the Lord's presence that makes it what it is, all right? And, uh, and now, there's another section, and, and you'll, uh, you'll re- instantly think, oh, yeah, remember that, right? Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, um, Jericho, the city of Jericho, is shut up tight. And remember, instead of a full-scale assault, the Lord has the people do this really... You know, kind of a strange deal where they march around the the city. And then, having marched around the city, they march around, they blow their trumpets, okay? And the walls come down, they shout, they do all this, right? Um, But you had the trumpet sounding, verse uh, 20, uh, and then the people shouted. and uh, And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed. So those two in unison. Now, what was that all about? I mean, did the trumpet and their voices have the power to bring the walls down? No. Okay? It was an announcement that the Lord was there. He, he had come. And that was present. The Lord was present with them in the form of the Ark of the Covenant. So as you recall, they march around that city and they're marching with the Ark of the Covenant. And a part of, obviously, the Ark of the Covenant is the mercy seat of God. And so here is God's presence symbolized in the ark, marching around that city. And so when they blew their trumpets, they were announcing to the city, the Lord has come. That's what all of that stuff was symbolizing for them. And for Jericho, obviously, he was coming in judgment. But for the people of God, he was coming as their savior, as their rescuer. And you can turn again to the New Testament. I, I'm just, these are, I mean, we don't even have the time. I mean, you've got hundreds of passages in the Bible that, that give you this flavor of the, uh, of the, um, the trumpet and the coming of the Lord. But in Matthew chapter 24, you get another one. And, um, beginning in verse 29, Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened. 
The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So you can see the tie-in, Matthew chapter 24 and the passage that Marian just read in Revelation 8. At that time, the sign of the Son of the Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with the power and with great glory and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from um, one end of the heavens to the other. Okay? You see this tie-in, the coming of the Lord, the announcing of the trumpet as the angels go out and they gather the elect and they bring them in. Now, if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation again, we're going to read 9. Now, this is a lot of reading. I get it. Um, but remember, this, this would have been read in their hearing. So uh, those first seven churches, when they would have received the word, they would have heard the word. Right here. They wouldn't have been reading it. They wouldn't have had, you know, their highlighters out sitting there. They would have probably been standing and they would have been listening as the scroll was read. Um, and so we're going to read chapter nine now. And, uh, you've heard this, the second half of chapter eight. And I want us to read chapter nine together and then we'll spend a few minutes on it. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth, and the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of the scorpions of the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will come, and they will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they were they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces, and their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle, and they had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months, and they had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek, Apollyon. The first woe is past, two other woes yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are abound at the great river Euphrates, and the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. And the number of the Mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. 
The heads of the horses resembled the heads of the lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, and in their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They still did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Let me pray for us. Father, as we come to your word, we would ask that our meditations on it and the words of my lips would be acceptable in your sight. And that, Father, this would be good for us. And as it changes us, as it shows us your glory, Father, it would um, send us into the world understanding and knowing that you are there, that you are still at work. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we've got one more trumpet after this. It's in chapter 11. We'll get to it in a minute. But I hope as you see this, right, you're beginning to put the picture together. The the trumpets are announcing, and from the vantage point that I'm preaching this, they are announcing the same the same scenario that has already happened in the breaking of the seals, but from a different camera angle. Okay, and so uh, there's there is a different aspect to this judgment, and it's God's judgment on those who stand opposed to him. So those who remain dead in their trespasses and sins, those who have not received the mark um, of God, okay, those who have not been marked out as his, who stand in opposition to him, they are the ones that receive the judgment. And so, right, so many times when you get to this middle section and you see these horrific pictures, they're terrifying. Just, just imagine. I mean, you and I have the benefit, the modern benefit of, of books, magazines, video gaming, movies. We have the benefit of having seen, right, like images really come, come to life in ways that they would have not ever understood. I mean, you all have seen, you know, Transformers and stuff. These people, as this book is originally written and the scroll is originally read, have none of that. They have nothing to fall back on. They're hearing these pictures, okay? You, you can begin to like associate things. Godzilla, Planet of the Apes, you know, you can do all kinds of things in your mind to, to get over the hump of hearing about locusts who have faces that look like human faces and hair that looks like women's hair, but teeth that are like lions and, and breastplates that are big, powerful iron. I mean, this is an image. Do you have any anything to tag that image to? No, nothing. They had nothing. And so that image for them would have been brand new, completely out of no, and and would have startled them. They knew what a locust was. They knew what a swarm of locusts would have been like. And so all they could imagine was the most terrifying, right, 
um, amount of, of locusts that you could imagine. But then throw in all sorts of other imagery. Stingers like scorpions. Uh, tails uh, on the other beasts that look like snakes that are that are bringing destruction and and pain and I mean terrible images. But you and I, right? So we have the benefit of we we kind of have to step back from that. Just try to take those images in. Just try to think. It, when Marion was reading the trumpets, to to think about. What it is that is happening. Now, these aren't, I contend, these are not necessarily specific events. They, they reference events, things that are happening. Um, but, but we're not looking for, we're not trying to read the tea leaves for a specific, you know, this one event. But, but a culmination, if you will, of various aspects of God's judgment on the land, on people. And so in this, we have fields that are burning. We have, uh, you know, we have the, the darkening of, of the sun and the moon, um, probably by virtue of the, the fire that is, that is burning. We have the disruption of sea lanes. We have seas that are turning to blood, they're, meaning they're, they're not producing. They're, uh, they're a hardship on the people rather than a, a benefit. And, and all of these things could have been a, encompassed in their world, especially in the Mediterranean world. Um, even today, there are aspects of this. And, and then they're able to tie these things together with a whole nother set of plagues that they've heard about. They're able to tie this together with the book of Exodus, right? When God is judging his people, when he is, when he is, uh, when, when he's judging the Egyptians, and he, as he's trying to rescue his people from the hand of Pharaoh. And so they know about blood turning. I mean, they, they've heard of these plagues. These would have been familiar. And so they're able to somewhat tie these together and to understand that what is happening is that it is God, the trumpets announcing him, his arrival, his judgment. And at the same time, because he is coming, his mercy, his grace. And so these images of hailstones, fire, blood, torches, blackened landscape, all of this happening, don't forget, it's under his control. They are his judgments. Now there are a couple of points with respect to that. First, you'll notice that they're measured. God's judgments on the people are measured. So when you're looking at chapter 8 and even into chapter 9, uh, one of the most frequently um, uh, uh, used statements is a third. A third. A third of the water. A, a third of the, of, of the fields. And, and what we get there is that these judgments of God are measured. He's in control. This is not an out of control, you know, where he's just hurling down on the earth um, fire and brimstone and things are completely chaotic. Instead, 
He is in control. He knows exactly what He's doing. His his deeds are measured. He established how far they could go and no further. Exactly the way He had done in the original plagues with respect to Egypt. And so what does that tell us? Well, first it tells us this. It's not the final judgment. It's not the final judgment. It's a prefiguring. It's it's the before. It's it's the initial opening act, if you will. And, And in that initial opening act, the people have an opportunity as they see God's judgments. There's still an opportunity to repent. Still an opportunity for them to, to turn from their ways. So it tells us it's not his final judgment. And second, it tells us that God intends his purposes uh, to be the force of everything here. He is in control. Chapter 9, verse 4, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people didn't have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. Now here's the second thing I want you to notice. And it is that the plagues that are unleashed in these trumpets reveal for us So we've seen a little bit about God, right? They're His judgments. They're measured. They have a purpose in mind. They're not just chaotic, not just wild, open. They're measured. They're for His purpose. But here's the second thing I want you to see as you work your way through this. Is that it takes, it takes the mercy and grace of God. It takes God changing a man's heart. To change him. Catastrophe doesn't do it. The sheer weight of all of this stuff that's happening doesn't do it. The images in chapter 9 that I just read you. Think about this. Locusts, like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were something like crowns of gold. Human faces, women's hair, lion's teeth, breastplates like breastplates of iron, wings like the thundering of many horses rushing into battle, stingers on their tails like scorpions tormenting people. Okay, So there's all of this chaos that is happening. You get to the end of chapter 9 and what do you read? Verse 20. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues, what? Still did not repent. Now let me ask you. So, you think about, you think about a disaster, right? You think about when terrible things happen. So just go back, rewind the tape to 9-11. 9-11 happens, and one of the things that, right, Often said, Katrina, 9-11, uh, you know, when we, years ago, we lived in San Bernardino, the fires roared down out of the mountains and burned up five, six hundred homes. When these sorts of things happen in communities, people say, well, maybe this, maybe this will, you know, 
turn us back to our. This is, you know, sometimes you hear this is God's judgment on our land, right? And so, uh, you know, perhaps that's what's going to turn us back. You know, they're going to see those burning buildings in New York, you know, and we're going to get the message. Because that's not the message, right? That's a result of refusing the message. So when God judges the land, when he judges a people in part, impartial, that isn't the good news. That's a result of a failure to hear the good news, to respond to the good news. And so in this passage, all of these things are happening. The trumpets have been blown. The, these plagues are unleashed on the people. And what is their response? It isn't, oh, God's judging us. I think this is a good time for me to turn. It is that they stay in their deadness all the way to the end. Listen, that is is a powerful reminder that cuts both ways. First, you and I do not change the hearts of men. We just don't. We can't. God does. He is the one that's why we pray to Him. That's why we ask Him to be at work in the hearts and lives and minds of people we know that are lost, that don't know Him. That's why we pray those prayers. Because I can't change them. You can't change them. Only God can change them. And the sheer force of the catastrophes that are listed in this book, they can't change anybody either. But God does. And I want you to see that as we move to chapter 11. The end of chapter 11, the second half of chapter 11, beginning in verse 19, is the seventh trumpet. And, and here's the way it goes, right? The angel sounded his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven. They said, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders seated on their thrones before God, they fell on their faces. They worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. Okay, so do you see that? You have begun to reign. He is, so in the, in the seals being broken, now in the trumpets being blown, God is exercising that dominion over people that we've been praying for, that the saints were crying out for under the altar as we looked at the, as we looked at the, um, the seals last week. And so this, this section is actually a result, okay? So let's just do the quick little Bible lesson. If you go back to chapter 8, okay, beginning there in verse 4, and this is, I am, this is really, all right, my arm is not long enough anymore. Um, I believe it's verse 4. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God and from the angel's hand, okay? Do you all remember this? And then... The angel took the censer filled with the fire from the altar, the prayers, the coals, and he hurled it on the earth, and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and the earthquake. So remember, God's people, right? The saints, the martyrs are there. They're under the altar. They're crying out. And what is their cry? How long, O Lord? And so the angel is at the altar He's offering their prayers. At the same time, he takes their prayers. They're mingled with this 
incense and he hurls it on the earth, okay, which is a picture of the coming of the Lord on the earth. And so God is now moving in the earth. And so we get the trumpets and the trumpets are just announcing for us. These are pictures. So the angel has, the angel has thrown those coals on the earth signifying what is coming for us in the trumpets. And so the trumpets are blasting. God is moving. And now you get to chapter 11 and you're at the last one. And what do the angels announce? The angels announce the Lord is moving. He has begun to reign. Verse 18, the nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and for those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. So those who stand in opposition to you. Verse 19, then God's temple in heaven was opened and within his temple was seen what? The ark of his covenant. Okay, so uh, that means Indiana Jones did not find it, okay, because it's in heaven. So he opens his temple, the Ark of the Covenant is there, and there came, does it sound familiar? Flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, the earthquake, and a great hailstorm. But what is that Ark of the Covenant a picture of? Well, it's God's presence, but remember what's there. And what's there is the mercy seat. The mercy seat of God. And at this point in the story, there yet remains mercy. It is still available. And look, I don't know where you're at. I don't, you know. but, But if you have not come to the Lord... We're still in the period where there is time. There is time to yet come. The mercy seat is available. And God's grace is still free. So would you hear that this morning? That even though He is on the move, and we're somewhere in the middle of all of this, right now, today, we're somewhere in the middle of all of this, and He is moving And he is still at work, and there is still time, and his grace is still free. Fear not. God is nigh, and he reigns. Let me pray for us. Father, you're good to us. Difficult passage for us to come to this morning, but even even in its difficulty, we see you. We see you ruling and reigning. Father, that gives us hope and confidence. We praise you. We thank you. Father, would you continue to be at work in us as we're out in this world for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing the first and the last of hymn 335. Stand together.
Good to see all of you today. So um, I'm going to give the benediction, and then we're going to take just a few minutes. If you would like to stay, um, I would love to have you. Um, and, and the reason that we're doing this today is uh, here at the church is it's an opportunity. As I serve um, in the Air National Guard, um, you as my congregation allow me to do that. You give me the privilege of being able to do that. And I'm very thankful. And I just wanted to share what, uh, you know, this is um, my promotion. It's also your promotion in a real way because it wouldn't happen without you. And so that's why we're doing this today. If you're not able to stay, I okay. I'm okay with it. My feelings will not be hurt. Um, okay, maybe a little. But... <laughs> You're welcome to stay and, and, and participate. It'll last about 10 or 15 minutes, depending on how long I cry. All right? So receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.